As I stand somewhere I've never been, waiting on things I didn't expect, mourning and maybe forgetting who I was, and for what, a world of fear? In the darkness, a loss of hope, pain in the absence of love, and tears in moments of desolation. And I ask why? Why this world of fear? Then a glimmer, a beam of love, a beam of life. Light came in and slowly conquered darkness. Hope found in glowing warmth that makes despair give way. And I can only hope that day will fully come soon when chaos begins to make sense and in unrest will be peace. Then we will be in the advent of something truly extraordinary. It's a beautiful arrangement of that song and um, you know each each Sunday during this uh, Advent season, during this time of preparation of getting ready for Christmas, uh, our musical team is, is uh, rearranging one of the well-known Christmas carols, and, and uh, they'll make those available to us uh, sometime later on in the month. But it's just been a real blessing, real encouragement to be able to hear them use their talents to lead us in worship and help us to focus on Jesus during this incredibly busy time of Advent. And Advent is a four-week-long period of preparation, getting ready for Christmas. And the, the word Advent means coming or arrival. And it's a time where we, as followers of Jesus, join with Christians really all over the world in preparing our hearts for the arrival of our Savior at Christmas. And today is the third Sunday of Advent. And we celebrate Advent here at Renaissance by lighting candles on our Advent wreath. And today, being the third Sunday, we light the only pink candle on the Advent wreath. And uh, pink stands for joy, and it helps us to focus on the joy that the shepherds had as they heard the announcement from the angels that their Savior had been born in Bethlehem. And that's why we actually call this third candle the shepherd's candle. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing on the shepherds what was it like for them as the angels announced to them that a very special child had been born in Bethlehem? And what was it like for them as they went to check it out and see what had been born in Bethlehem? And then the joy that they had and the excitement that they had as they spread the good news uh, that a Savior had been born in Bethlehem. And I love that passage from Luke that we read uh, earlier just a few minutes ago in the service. And I want to read it again in a slightly different translation, one that may be somewhat familiar to you. Uh, just the first two verses of that to start. Uh, they were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid." How many of you remember that from a particular television special, Charlie Brown Christmas? One of you. That comes from, actually comes from the Bible, but Linus, who I think is up on the screen behind me, read that passage. He has read that passage to millions and millions of people all over the United States and really all over the world for the last 50 years. The Charlie Brown Christmas special started in 1965, and there was a debate between the producers and 
Charles Schultz, who obviously who wrote uh, all of the Charlie Brown stories, there was a debate between them because Schultz wanted to have that Luke passage in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, but the producers were afraid that the relatively secular audience was not going to appreciate having something from the Bible being read to them. But Schultz insisted on it, and that passage from the Gospel of Luke, from Luke's biography of Jesus, that passage from the Bible has been read aloud to millions and millions of people for the past 50 years. And that is absolutely my favorite of all of the uh, Christmas TV specials, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the cartoon version. Jim Carrey version's okay, but the cartoon version, that's my second favorite, and I love the dog Max, you know, with a little stick as an antler and that. Anyway, we'll talk about it afterwards, the three of you who appreciate that as well. We can kind of hang out here afterwards. But at Charlie Brown Christmas, I just love that story. But what I appreciate most is that they were willing to read that passage of Scripture to what is essentially a secular audience because that's where the heart of Christmas is found. And if you've ever seen that TV special, you know that that's Linus's point. When Charlie Brown says, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown, I'll tell you. And then he recites that passage from the Gospel of Luke. But that presents a challenge for us. That causes a little bit of a problem for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, because what's happened is that passage from the Gospel of Luke has become so familiar to us, and in fact, really the entire Christmas story has become so familiar to us in this culture that it's ordinary, it's lost its specialness. There's not really the excitement that we, that we might want to have and that we know we ought to have uh, as we're listening to it because we've heard it over and over and over again. And it blends in really with all of the sights and the sounds and the, the smells and the decorations and the songs and the parties. It just kind of blends in with all of those things, all of those activities that we do around Christmas. And Christmas, the, the joy that we might feel at Christmas time ends up being maybe more of a nostalgia than an actual excitement that our Savior, that the one who was born to die, that the one who came here to restore our broken relationship with our Creator, that He's been born in Bethlehem. And it just becomes part of the seasonal holiday festivities because it's so familiar to us. I mean, just think about the basic Christmas story. It's just ordinary. You got this woman has a baby. People come to visit. They bring presents. They have a little baby shower for her, you know? They tell her that her baby is cute, that the baby looks good. That's what they do with every baby, you know? Uh, and then, then, okay, so the kid's found sleeping in a feed trough. That one's a little bit unusual, but it doesn't really get us excited because it's all so ordinary. So what do we do? What do we who are followers of Jesus or those of us who are here this morning maybe not saying, you know, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm interested in enough that I want to check it out, that I want to find out more about who this Jesus is. So what do I do if I want to get a little bit more excited, to have a little bit more joy, to take the ordinary and help it to become extraordinary again in my heart? 
What I want to do this morning is take a look at that very familiar passage in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to look at it and see how God takes a very ordinary story of a baby being born and people coming to visit, how God takes that story and he weaves something extraordinary throughout that story. So let's take a look again at what happened with the shepherds on that first Christmas Eve. Luke writes, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, he says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Shepherds. We don't see shepherds today unless we see them in a movie or unless maybe, you know, maybe if we're out west somewhere, we might see some shepherds, but usually it's on a really big ranch or maybe we've been to the Middle East and we've seen some shepherds there. But for the most part, shepherds are not part of our everyday life, but they were part of people's everyday lives back then. And shepherds were basic working class people, everyday, ordinary people, nothing special about them. They're used to being outside at night in order to protect their sheep from predators, whether it's animals or people who wanted to steal the sheep. So this night starts out pretty much like every other night. But then, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, or the way that the old King James Version puts it, they were sore afraid. I love that phrase, they were sore afraid. He kind of captures something of what was going on in that minute. And you think about it, you say, of course they're sore afraid. Maybe a wild animal's going to show up, and they're going to be afraid in that kind of a situation, but they've dealt with it before. They've seen wild animals. They may have seen people who are trying to steal their sheep, but they've never seen an angel appear to them in the sky. So, of course, they're going to be terrified. Of course, they're going to be afraid as this angel appears to them. And then the glory of the Lord shines around them. And if you were here two weeks ago, we talked about this concept of the glory of the Lord. It was this, this light that was the visible manifestation of God's presence with his people. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible, we see over and over and over again that God manifests his presence with his people in the form of this blinding light that's so bright that people have to turn away. And in fact, they respond almost every single time. They respond in fear when God manifests or reveals his glory. And that's what happens with the shepherds. So they're just doing what they would normally do. All of a sudden, this angel appears. There's this blinding light. The glory of the Lord shines around them, and they fall on their faces in terror. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that's going to cause great joy for all the people. The angel's basically he's just saying to them, look, I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to announce to you that something extraordinary has happened. And when you understand the significance of what God is doing tonight, it's going to bring you incredible joy, joy that is so far beyond anything that you've ever experienced in your life. Why? Because today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Angel knows they need a sign. They need something to show them that what they are saying, what the angel is saying is true. And so he says, you're going to find this baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. You think about it for a second. A baby 
is ordinary. A baby wrapped in cloths in those days was ordinary. They would wrap the baby in cloths, kind of like if you take a baby in a blanket today and you wrap up a newborn baby very tightly because it makes that baby feel much more comfortable. It's just spent the last nine months in its mother's womb and now everything's kind of flying around it. And so you wrap that baby up tightly in a blanket and it feels more comfortable and it calms the child. And they did the same thing with the baby Jesus back then. So a baby being born is normal. A baby being wrapped in cloths is normal. A, be, a baby being uh, put to sleep in a feed trough, and that's what a manger is, that's a little bit unusual, but nothing about that is really extraordinary. Nothing about that is really out of the ordinary. But the significance of this baby, that's what was earth-shattering. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host, a whole group of angels, appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This whole group of angels, we don't know how many, maybe hundreds or, or, or thousands of these angels, appear to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, peace to the people on earth on whom God's favor rests saying God is going to be glorified, God is going to be praised, and you, shepherds, and the people whom you represent, God is bringing to you the peace that you've been longing for. And at first, I don't know that they fully understood the depth of what the angel was saying, but as time went on and they thought about it, they reflected on it, they pondered it, they considered it, I think they gained a deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of the significance of what the angel had said to them with regard to this otherwise seemingly appearing ordinary child. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. Ordinary, normal, if you and I had been there, if we had been with the shepherds, we would have done exactly the same thing. Hey, this angel, he's telling us this special baby's been born in Bethlehem. Let's go check it out. Let's see what's happening. And watch what's going on here. Again, you've got this, this interplay between the ordinary and the extraordinary. You've got the shepherds doing what they would do on any normal night, tending their flocks. All of a sudden, the extraordinary happens. Angels appear to them, tell them that this special baby has been born in Bethlehem. And so then they do what any normal, ordinary person would do. They go and they check it out. So they hurried off, verse 16. They found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger exactly the way the angel had said that they would find him. And when they had seen this, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. I mean, think about this for a second. Nobody had to tell those shepherds to go and spread that news. The angels didn't say, we're commissioning you to tell everybody that this baby had been born in Bethlehem because the angels knew full well that when they went, when the shepherds went and they saw that this child was exactly, exactly the way that the angels had said it would be, there's going to be no question. They were going to be so excited that they couldn't help themselves. They were overflowing with joy and excitement. It's like any of us, when something really exciting happens to us, we've just got to tell people. If 
you've ever had a child, you go into work the next day, the next week, whenever it is, and you tell your friends about your beautiful child. Something good happens in your life, and you can't help but tell people about that. And that's what was going on with these shepherds. They're so excited, they're overflowing with joy so that they just have to tell people because they can't contain it in their own hearts. But the problem for us is we're not excited the way that they were. Christmas Eve was extraordinary for them. Christmas Eve for us, it's a little different than most days of the year, but overall, it's fairly ordinary because we're so familiar. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know the basic story of Jesus being born at Christmas time. And you think about it for a minute, you say, you know what? The shepherds had an angel to come and tell them. Of course, they're going to get excited by that. The shepherds had an angel. Of course, they're going to want to tell people. No wonder that they were amazed at that. But we don't get any angels. Angels, I don't know how many of you, an angel has never appeared to me to announce anything, never mind the appearance of my Savior at Christmas. Neither did anybody else. Nobody else had the angels announce that to them. The shepherds got the angels. Everybody else got the shepherds. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, there was something supernatural to the shepherds, but after that, all of the announcements of Jesus' birth were natural, normal, ordinary. The shepherds were the ones who told everybody about that, just a bunch of regular guys who had an unbelievable story. And some people actually think that the shepherds, some people think that their testimony was not admissible in a court of law, which would meant that they were less trustworthy than anybody else in that particular situation. I think about it and I say, I'd still rather have angels. If I were in charge of things, if, you know, if God said, hey, Clay, you can be God for a little while, which would be a pretty dumb move on his part, and he's not going to do that, of course. But if I were in charge, I'd have this steady stream of angels coming down from heaven to earth to tell people that the Savior had been born. Because if an angel were standing up here this morning instead of me, you guys would be listening a whole lot more with a whole lot more rapt attention than you are when I speak. And I would be too. I'd be moving out of the way so that that angel could talk to all of us. But that's not how God chose to do it. In fact, in fact, what's so remarkable about this Christmas story is how unremarkable it is, how unremarkable the people are whom God chose to spread the news. Think about it for just a minute here. Mary and Joseph were just like any other teenage couple. If you were to look at them, you would have no idea that there was anything different about Mary and Joseph than anybody else who was roughly their age. Bethlehem, it was nothing special. It's not even the capital of Israel at that point. It's just a suburb of Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't born in Beth Israel Hospital in downtown, you know, downtown Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or, or wherever it was. No, he's born in a stable in Bethlehem. His first visitors are a group of working class shepherds, and yet God used those shepherds to announce to the world the absolutely most extraordinary message that had ever been proclaimed in the history of the world up until that point. These shepherds 
were the primary messengers for the most extraordinary message that had ever been proclaimed. There's a baby lying in a feed trough in Bethlehem, and he's the Savior of the world. He's the one who will restore this broken world. He's the one who's going to reconcile us to God. He's the one who's going to give us hope and peace. He's the one who's going to bring joy to the world. And God chose shepherds to be the ones to proclaim that message to the world. And I think he did that intentionally. I think God did that intentionally because he didn't want my faith, he didn't want your faith, he didn't want our faith to rest on the identity of the messenger. He wanted our faith to rest on the content of the message. Yes, the angels were extraordinary, and they gave the message first to the shepherds, but after that, the only thing extraordinary was the content of the message. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. That's a proclamation. You know, when we sing that song, when we sing joy to the world, we're actually saying to the world, joy has come in the form of this little baby. The Lord has come. Let earth, let all around us receive our king. Let every heart prepare him room. We're proclaiming that. And what we're essentially doing is we're standing in line with the shepherds as part of the group of people whom God has chosen to proclaim the message that this baby who was born in Bethlehem now over 2,000 years ago, that this baby who was born in Bethlehem is the savior of the world, is the king of the universe, is the one who's going to reconcile us with our broken relationship with our Creator and with one another as well. And the problem is that story, that proclamation, even that song, Joy to the World, is so familiar to us that we don't always have that same joy. Sometimes we have that nostalgia, but we don't have that excitement. So the question is, what do we do about that? How do we move from nostalgia to joy? How do we move from the ordinary to the extraordinary, how do we, we recapture some of that joy and excitement that the shepherds had? And I think the answer is found in Mary's response to what happened that night. Take a look at the next verse, verse 19. But Mary, Jesus' mother, treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. Think about Mary's situation for a minute. Just put yourself in, in, in Mary's situation for just a minute. About a year prior to that, an angel had appeared to her and, and said to her, you're going to bear God's son. You're going to become pregnant with God's son and give birth to him. And then she tells her husband, and actually he's not her husband. He's her fiancé. She tells Joseph, her fiancé, that this is happening. And Joseph himself decides to stick with her, to stay with her, even though her child is not his child. And then she has to travel 90 miles on a donkey for a stupid Roman census. From her perspective, why do I have to go all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem just so that I can be counted so that the Romans can tax us even more than they're already doing? At that point, she probably didn't understand the significance of her child being born in Bethlehem. And then there's no room 
There's no room for them in the inn. So she gives birth to her son in a stable, and she has to put him to bed that first night in a feeding trough. And now, just as he's falling asleep, this bunch of noisy, smelly shepherds come to gawk at her child. And all she wants to do at this point probably is rest. And so there's all this commotion going on around Mary. And what does she do? She treasures up all these things and she ponders them in her heart. Does she fully understand what's going on? I don't think so. Probably not. But she's thinking. She's reflecting. She's trying to put it all together. She's trying to make sense out of everything that's happened in this last year, and especially this last night. And actually, a little bit later on in Luke's gospel, he mentions again, after something else happens, that she treasures up and she ponders these things in her heart. And if you trace Mary, Jesus' mother, all the way through the life of Jesus, you'll see that over and over and over again, she's stopping, she's reflecting, she's pondering, she's treasuring up in her heart. She's trying to make sense of all these things that are happening to her and around her. And as the days and weeks and months and years go by, her understanding grows and grows, and so does her faith. And ultimately, I think, so does her joy. And that's the key to our joy. If you want to take the ordinary story, the story that you know so well that you've heard over and over and over again, and you want to see something extraordinary in it, you want to see something different in it, we need to take the time to do exactly what Mary did. We need to take the time to treasure it. We need to take the time to, to ponder it. We need to take the time to reflect on it, to chew it, to try to understand it more and more deeply and to apply it to our lives. And as we do that, I think we're going to find that our joy increases. It's not just by reading it, although we need to do that. We actually need to really reflect on it and consider it. You know, if, if you're here this morning and you're saying, yeah, I've heard it a bunch of times, but I don't know if I believe it. It's a pretty incredible story. Yeah, I believe that a baby was born in Bethlehem, and I believe that this baby was placed in a manger, but I'm not so sure that that child was the Savior of the world. Okay, fair enough. Let me encourage you. Take some time this week. Read the first two chapters of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's biography of Jesus, first book in the New Testament, and read the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, the third book in the New Testament. Read those four chapters, take you a total of maybe 20, 30 minutes to read those, especially if you skim through the genealogy in Matthew a little bit quickly. Read through those and ask yourself this one question. If this were actually true, if this baby who had been born in Bethlehem were actually the Savior of the world, if what is reported in these four chapters that I'm reading actually happened and were actually true, what difference would it make in my life? How would it change my life if I believed that this baby who was born and was lying there in a manger were the Savior of the world? If you're already a follower of Jesus and you've read this dozens or maybe even a hundred times in your life, read it again 
But start by praying and ask God to give you a fresh perspective, a new perspective. Ask him to help you to see things that you've never seen before and ask him to help you to see familiar things in a new light. If you've got children in your house, read it with your children and ask them to explain it to you. They're going to give you a very different perspective from the one that you have. If you don't have children in your house, borrow some. There are people here who I'm sure will lend you their children so that you can do this. Point is you want to get a different perspective. Another way to do that, put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of the shepherds. Read it through as if you were the shepherds. What was it like for them? Imagine what it was like for them. That night, out in the cold, it's dark, and this angel appears to them. What was it like? What were they talking about as they're going from the fields all the way into downtown Bethlehem? What was it like when they see Mary and Joseph in this baby, or put yourself in the shoes of Joseph or Mary or anybody else in the Christmas story. Point is, see it from a different perspective and ask God to give you some of the joy and some of the excitement that the shepherds had there on that first Christmas Eve. Notice how Luke ends his account in verse 20. He says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They were so excited. They were so excited that they couldn't help but say, praise God. Isn't God amazing? Isn't he awesome because he's done this thing? Hey, you need to hear. Let me tell you what just happened, what I just saw out in the field and what I just saw in Bethlehem. You got to come and check this out because the Savior of the world has been born and he's lying in a manger in Bethlehem. And we, we get to follow their example. We don't have to, we get to follow their example. We get to join with them in proclaiming that our Savior has been born and he's alive and if we are trusting in him, if we're looking to him, we can be restored to a right relationship with our heavenly father. And if that's something that you want to do, if you want to be involved in proclaiming that the Savior has been born, let me give you several suggestions, ways that you can do it, some of which are a little bit more challenging, some of which are a whole lot easier than you might think they are. One way that you can do that, invite a friend to join you at the Christmas concerts. We're going to be proclaiming the good news that Jesus is born. Almost all of it's going to be in song. It's going to be fun. They're going to enjoy it. It's beautiful music, but it's going to give them a little bit of a picture of what it was like on that first Christmas when the baby was born in Bethlehem. So you can invite them to that. Invite them to come to Christmas Eve. In this, in this community, Christmas Eve is something normal. It's something ordinary. Lots of people, even if they never go to church, they go to church on Christmas Eve. Invite them to join you. We're going to have a 45-minute long service a lot of music, shorter message, great time when we're proclaiming that our Savior has been born in Bethlehem. If you want to take it a step further, engage someone in a conversation and just say, hey, what do you think of Christmas? What does Christmas mean to you? How do you celebrate Christmas? What's it like in your house? What was it like when you were growing up? What are the traditions that are important to you? What's most important to you? And then pray that God will give you the opportunity to tell them what's most important to you and to share that with them, to share some of your faith in the Savior of the world with them, or just offer to pray with them, to pray for them. Everybody loves that when you offer to pray with them. So if you want to, do that as well. Again, 
all sorts of ways that you can share the joy of Christmas with the people around you. At Christmas time, God took a bunch of ordinary people and he did something extraordinary through them. And the world has never been the same since that day. And we, as followers of Jesus, get to be part of sharing that joy with the world around us. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for all of us that this Christmas, these next 10 days or so, 12 days between now and Christmas, I pray that day by day by day, you would take what to us has become ordinary and make it extraordinary again in our hearts. Take the nostalgia that we feel and turn it to joy. And as you do, I pray that we would be so excited, we would be so overflowing with joy that we can't help but share that joy with the people around us. And as I, I pray that as we do, they too would be drawn to you and come to faith in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen. Hey, if you are a parent and you've got children with you this morning, Jingle Jam, downstairs, 1030. Wonderful opportunity, great fun time for your kids. Even if you've never been before, we encourage you to go downstairs for that. Hope you guys have a wonderful week. If you want to chat, I'll be hanging out up front. Thanks.